Welcome back to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, that you had some time off with some family and friends, and you've enjoyed some good food and time to recharge. And as you're doing that, November is National Adoption Month, and so we've been excited to bring you a series. Um, we, we aired an episode with Edward and I, and next is Tim and Lynn Windmeyer. They are serve on staff with Samaritan's Purse, and they adopted their daughter, and you'll love hearing their story. Tim has been serving with Samaritan's Purse for over 20 years, and he served all over the world in so many different capacities and roles. Currently, he is an advisor in international projects. And I love the way that Tim and and Lynn were really honest and transparent and raw about their journey and bringing home their daughter. I know you'll be challenged and encouraged as I was as you hear the way that God directed them in their adoption journey. Where did the Lord stir and bring this into your hearts? Um, Was it something you wanted to do or did God bring this upon you? So I guess, you know, will you just share about how the Lord called you to to adoption? Well, our whole parenting journey kind of started in Boone. Um, my entire pregnancy with our firstborn was in Kenya, and um, we moved back to have her and then found out we were moving to Boone. So I had had her, and then about two and a half years later, we had our son, and he was 10 months old, and our oldest was three years old, and she started telling her dad that, um, telling Tim, Daddy, I have a sister in Africa, and we need to go get her. Wow. And it was, you know, three-year-olds say really cute things, but (laughs) every time she said it, it was just very matter-of-fact, and then she would kind of just go back to being this happy-go-lucky three-year-old. And she she definitely cornered him first. And so when he first told me about it, I was like, what? We have a 10-month-old son. There's no mm-hmm. way we're adding another child to our family right now. I, I She hasn't told me that yet. <laughs> so... So then she kind of, she talked to him a few times, I think, on his own and then um, cornered me by myself again. And 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 he came home from work one day and I was like, she said it to me today. <laughs> and I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, it was just very matter of fact. And, and then her demeanor changes after. And so it was just this really, you know, planting a seed. And so then we started praying and... God just started showing up in all kinds of ways um, and kind of told us different pieces of the story in different ways. And, and he told, you know, through Stella, he said, it's a sister. So we knew it was a girl. Um, And then we were kind of like, well, where, you know, we have a big heart for East Africa, but what part of East Africa can't really adopt from Sudan and um, Kenya is a whole nother story. And so it was interesting how Uganda just kept coming to me. Um, I had worked with women from all over East Africa. So um, I, you know, kind of had a perception of what each little culture was like. And, and there was just like books would come that were talking about Uganda or emails or it was just constantly Uganda. And so for me, that was very clear. And then um, for you, I think it was the special needs. And I I remember saying to him, I didn't hear that. (laughs) What is that? What is that about? So um, just kind of just kept showing us different pieces of the story in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I would also add, um, it is definitely a calling and Mm -hmm. definitely a faith journey. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and my view of, of adoption before we went into the process was, you know, Lynn and I were very open to it and, oh yeah, that that's something we'd love to do. But I think I approached it from a wrong perspective and thinking, you know, I'll raise my bio kids, we'll, we'll be stable, we'll have a house figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then out of our benevolence, we'll go out and, and help these children that that need a home. And I mean, God's plan for us was radically different. And it, he did use our three-year-old to prompt our prayer life and, and really spur us into action to say, no, this isn't this isn't out of your benevolence that you're going to go and adopt and, you know, quote unquote, save a, a, a kid. This is a faith journey and you're not going to have the resources. You're not going to have the tools, but you're going to have to look to me to, to get them. And so I think it was a really deepening experience for us as we started walking through the process just yes. to say, we don't have what we need for, mm-hmm. for right now, but God, we trust that you're going to show up and, and help us through this next step. That is so good. And it's so true. And that's why I want to bring awareness, but you're right. God has to call you. You know, it's not because, yeah, benevolence gets you into this, but Jesus and God, our faith in him is what keeps us, you know, because it's hard. And if it, all you're doing is benevolence or compassion, you're going to fail, you know. But if you don't have the Lord as your anchor, and, you know, I've, I've heard it said, you know, people go into adoption thinking they're they're rescuing a child. But in the process, God rescues us and shows us how we need rescuing. You know, we are— we are far from him. We are, you know, we are lost without him being with, without us making him our anchor and abiding in him. And if we don't, it will be too hard. It's too much um, because adoption, it comes from loss. It comes from brokenness. And no matter how the child comes into your life, there's a loss. Um, even if they come at a newborn, you know, there is, um, and so God can redeem it. God can restore it and make it beautiful. But you're right. It's not easy just because it just because God called you doesn't make it easy. So I love how you started off the bat with that. Um, so can you so and I love your daughter. Um, it makes me think of Stephen Kirsch Chapman, you know, their daughter, Mary Beth shares that I think she was 11, though, a little older, um, where she kept pressing them. We're, we're going to adopt. You know, God told me. And, you know, I, I love that you listened and you allowed that to, rather than just think, oh, she's only three. What is she talking about? You allowed her to penetrate your hearts and start praying about it. So, and you and and I love how even God used your time in Africa, you know, to make your hearts, you know, you know, their, the culture and the people and— it gave you more compassion, I'm sure. Um, so maybe talk to me about the process. So here you are with two little children. Um, yeah, the timing probably isn't on paper a convenient time. But what did the process look like? And and what were your next steps once the Lord kind of confirmed, yes, this is what I want for your family? So I think we, you know, of course, once we realize, oh, no, God really wants us to do this, the first Step was trying to find an agency that um, actually was working in Uganda, and there weren't that many at that time. So it narrowed it down pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finding out all of the um, finances that would be associated with that is expensive, mm-hmm. and um, kind of embarking on that journey of fundraising and um, just trusting that God would provide. And we saw that so often, um, there would be a bill due and we would have just raised like maybe half of it. And then we would get 
some kind of letter or card or email that said, hey, we wanted to match what you raised in your Mm -hmm. fundraiser. And then it was like the exact amount that we needed for that next bill for the agency. And so just time and time again, we showed God show up faithfully in in that um, portion of the journey as well. Mm -hmm. That is so awesome. Um, um, So you found an agency you found. So what was the timeline like once you found, yeah, an agency that, we went to that part of the world because um, I, I know it, it can be long. You know, there can be a long waiting time. So I guess what did what did that look like and what did God teach you in the waiting? Because I think that is, it's hard because there's so many unknowns and so many things outside of your control. And that's where you have to really surrender and say, God, you're in the waiting. I know. Um, it, so we started the whole process in 2012. Um, and when we started, you know, you have to kind of name age range and you mm-hmm. have to name what you're open to special needs wise. And um, man, that was a hard day going through that list and saying yes to some things and no to other things. I kind of wanted to be like, yes to everything. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I remember that just being a really draining hard day. But in that waiting of one and wondering, like, is this going to be next year? Is this going to be tomorrow? Like, but as soon as you sign up for the agency, you're kind of added to a list of people. Mm-hmm. And then where you fall on that list depends on your openness to what they have found in the country that you're adopting from. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we fell pretty far down the list because at that time we were we were specifying um, younger than our son, who at that time was 10 months old. Mm-hmm. And in a foreign country, that's very rare. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that at the time. But um, it was really cool to see how now you can see looking back how God's timing, like it was all, you know, part of his getting our daughter joy onto their radar onto our adoption um, agency's radar and she wasn't on their radar in 2012 i don't think they had added that partnership of that Mm -hmm. orphanage yet Um, and she wasn't younger than our son Mm -hmm. so (laughs) it took all that time for us to realize too like our special need was actually older child Um, and that is a high need in all facets of adoption in the foster system and international adoption, older children are much harder to place. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at our very first adoption meeting and talking to people who were specifically looking to adopt older children. And I, I remember thinking, I don't think I could do that. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm so good with babies. I need a baby, you know, I need to start there. And I, I just kept thinking I couldn't do that. Ironically, or maybe not so ironically, throughout those four years, there would be times I would say to Stella, like, you know, we're still, and to Bennett, our son, like, we're still waiting for your younger sister. And mm-hmm. Stella would just kind of be like, mom, she's not young. She's mm-hmm. getting older like me. <laughs> so. Um, and I would just look at her for a minute and be like, I don't know, honey, we've told them they have to, she has to be younger than Bennett. And, um, it was kind of crazy how, when we just started getting closer and closer to their top of their list as the family that was needing to be matched, 
which took four years, um, it came down to, they were like, look, we don't have any children in Uganda in your age range. We don't, you're not matching with anyone. And so would you consider, and then they just kept throwing out, you know, different, um, uh, waiting children. So the children who weren't matching with any of their families and it kind of, it was pretty amazing. We had been talking about, you know, would we, would we name her something from our family? Would we, how would she just have the name she came with? Like, what would that look like? And, um, which seems like a pretty trivial thing, but we had, we had always named our children after someone in our family up to that point. And, um, I remember talking to my aunt one day and she's like, well, my, my grandma's name was Josephine. I was like, Oh, I love that name. And so, um, I, we just both kind of had that name kind of in the back of our minds. And, um, one day, I think it was in middle mid 2015, I was looking on the waiting list and there was a girl on there whose name she was labeled as Josephine. Mm. Um, and, and it was the first time I'd ever seen them use that name. And I remember our, um, our counselor, our social worker was like, you know, even if that's not her name, that's clearly the name God used to lead you to this girl. So let's pursue it and see. Mm-hmm. And we, at that time we thought she was eight and Stella at that time was six, I think mm-hmm. it all kind of shifted, but started to become very clear. Mm-hmm. And I would just say that in, in those four years of us being in process and, you know, numerous false starts, um, especially for me, the Lord really worked on my heart to, um, again, develop more trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we've talked about the, the finances of, oh, my goodness, it's so expensive. And the exact right thing would show up at the exact right time when we needed it. And it would sometimes come from anonymous locations. And, and it's just, you know, this stretching of, of us to say, like, okay, we trust. Okay, we'll open our hands further. We're, we're not trying to control here. Lord, we're trying to fix our eyes on you in this. Show us. And, and so these little, these little things, like her name being our family name, and, um, you know, just some of that stretching in that four years really prepared our family Um to, to upset the apple cart, so to speak, mm-hmm. change birth order, really reframe thinking that we're not bringing a tiny baby home, but we really need to, to be ready to bring, bring our kiddo home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love how you said it's a journey. You know, it, it's, it didn't happen overnight, you know, all of it. Um, and and I, I agree with you. And that's why when people say yes to adoption, I think God really does work in your heart. And some do change pa- boundaries and parameters like you guys did. And and same thing with us. We did too. I mean, that's the hardest part is, yeah, saying what you'll say yes to. You feel bad choosing and picking. And and I think, you know, because when you get pregnant, you don't choose that. God truly knits that baby in your womb and you don't choose the sex or the age or the, you know, special need. And, and that is something I didn't know either until we entered this journey. I didn't know that older kids was a special need. You know, it, it is in the category of special needs because most people want a baby. And, um, and so I, I love the way that God slowly, yeah, softened your heart and, and changed. Yeah. What, you know, 
Psalm 16:9 is, you know, in a heart in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. You know, you allowed God by saying yes to continue to change and guide your steps towards your daughter. But I think God sometimes even though he spoke to you, it doesn't mean it's easy, right? And and when I'm sure when you brought her home, even though, you know, your daughter said that, there still are challenges when you bring in someone, and that's how we are too. Our, we have almost twins, our boys. And even though they said they were prepared and they loved that and they were excited, bringing them home was a different story because then, you know, the jealousy creeps in and the, the so it doesn't mean it's easy. And that's what I want to remind people. And, you know, I was actually just reading Exodus this morning, you know, when Moses, you know, was talking to the Israelites and talking to Pharaoh, you know, and he comes back to the Lord and, you know, Pharaoh increased the slaves, you know, workload and made things harder, right? And so Moses comes to him and says, you know, I did what you said. And, you know, now things are worse, you know, like, so what, what now? Like things are now worse. So, so we'll talk about this in a little bit about how just because it is what God called you to do doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And, um, but I, I just love it when Moses says, you know, you brought harm to these people. Why did you even send me? So real quick, can we talk about travel? So now you know who your daughter is, and I love the way that God ordained your steps in that way and the name. I mean, he's just, he is in the details. Um, so talk about travel. Did you bring your kids when you traveled to get her? Um, and what was that journey like? Yeah, so we uh, we finally got the okay to go to travel to meet her for the first time. And when Lynn and I talked about it, we felt pretty strongly that it was going to be important for us to take our our other kiddos with us um, to meet her, to see where she was, to understand the context of, of where she's coming from as she's joining our family. Um, and so so we did. Um, our kids were a little bit older at the time, but but not not too old. Seven and four. But but we took them uh, to Uganda with us. We went to the orphanage. We spent time playing there. We spent time with you know all of the the community around. Uh, we're able to attend um, the church that was associated with the orphanage that that she was going to. Um, and I think it has been throughout the journey since um, really really good for our other kiddos to to have that visual to know. This this is part of us too, and we're we're connected to this. Um, and, and they talk about the that trip that visit out so fondly as just a great a great time of of learning and growing, and um, just the whole travel was was incredible for them. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how long did you have to stay in country, and and were there any delays there? Yeah, I would say there were delays every step of the process. The initial visit, we uh, we only stayed for a couple of weeks and then uh, came back home. Um, but anyways, then we had to to leave because there was another eight weeks or so of paperwork that was supposed to be done in country before we were able to to actually um, get her and and bring her home. And, and so on that second trip, Lynn actually just went by herself, and I, I stayed back in Boone with the other kids. Um, and, but as I look back on it too, it's, it's a time where I, I saw our whole community show up. Um, and gosh, I mean, when I think about the whole community, I think really a lot of 
our Samaritan's Purse community, um, just the families and staff there in Boone that wrapped their arms around me and, and our kids. And, you know, we're so faithful in bringing meals and helping us as I was trying to you know, still work full time, but care for the kids. Um, and even our Samaritan's Purse community in, in Uganda, just the way yeah. that they wrapped their arms around Lynn and, and Joy while they were there waiting for the paperwork, just encouraging and, and spurring on. It's just such a cool memory and picture for me of how the whole community can stand up and rally on behalf of, of the orphans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. And that's why I just want to bring awareness this month that whether, even if you're not called to adopt, you can and should support and love those that are, because you're right, it takes it takes community. We are not meant to do this alone. We can't do it alone. And I think the body of Christ is so important uh, during the critical times and 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 even after they're home and as they continue. Um, but so I love the way that they rallied around you because um, that is what I think James 127 is, you know, to care for the widow and orphans and in their distress and to not let the world defile you. You know, that is what that means. It doesn't mean we all need to go adopt. It just means we are to love those and love the vulnerable and love those that are doing it. Um, and we can all take part in that. And we are all commanded to take part in that. Um, what did, I guess, what did God teach you? And what, was there any special scripture or time in the word that the Lord really sustained you with during that time? I feel like, so I remember very clearly leaving Tim at the airport in Charlotte for Uganda and just being kind of overwhelmed with um the fact that i was <laughs> leaving and i had no idea when i was coming back mm-hmm. um i was a stay-at-home mom at that time like i ran the house and he was going to be working full-time doing everything with the kids and i felt guilty leaving him um but then there was also a part of me that i had not been back to east africa since we left in 2008 and it was there was a piece of me that was really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, like our agency wasn't even sure we should go yet because there was a there was a birth certificate that they hadn't found yet, and there were issues with that. And and we finally, after feeling very clearly from God, he, he was saying to me, "I'm making a way." Um, we felt very strongly that I was supposed to go anyway. Mm. And I really think me being there and being able to talk to directly to the people in country every Mm -hmm. single day Mm -hmm. allowed it to, you know, God to really make that way um, happen. So, and I had all that time with joy and I told the kids before I left, I was like, you know, with both of you, you spent nine nine months in my womb with just me like that was something that um was just me and you that daddy wasn't a part of Mm -hmm. i was like this is my chance to have that time with 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 your sister Mm -hmm. and so i kept looking at it like that which really Mm -hmm. helped a lot (laughs) who that is yeah that is so good that you saw his providence because i think yeah um and coming back to what i read today in moses you know in exodus you know when he said this has gotten worse, you know, and God 
God responds by saying, you know, you will see what I will do, you know, and later I, I've remembered my, co- my covenant, you know, and we do, we need to remember that God promised to be with us, not that things would be perfect and easy in our circumstances, but I'm glad you were able to see even God's presence and, and, and His people and the way that He provided. I just want to read, you know, Psalm 17, 1, you know, the Lord, hear just cause and pay attention to, and listen to my cry and my prayer. You know, I call on you, God, because you answer and you incline your ear towards me. Um, I love the the last verse of 17. It says, I will seek your face in righteousness when I'm awake. I will be satisfied in your presence. And it sounds like, you know, you were satisfied in God's word and, and his promises. And that is what we need to, and that's why I love that you tell that it was hard. Because I think sometimes people, when they when things get hard, they think, oh, this isn't of God you know, yeah. because it's hard. Um, but that's not true. But He is with us in the hard, and He will provide. And I love how you said that financially, just logistically, all throughout the way He provided, and even provided you by saying, I need this extra time with her. Because you're right. We do. When you adopt, you miss years. And God can redeem and restore. And I, I've, we've seen that in our situation where He made up for those years we lost. I know one verse that both of us kept going back to because, you know, there can, fear can creep in in all of these times. Mm-hmm. And um, the the verse from Romans 8, 14 through 15, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are, are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Like that verse just kept coming to both of us too during that time. And and I think through this whole journey, fear can try to take over and, and that can be a dangerous place to stay in. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's, I could talk to you for hours, but let's let's talk about bringing her home and what that was like. And I think that's another thing that, you know, coming home isn't the easy part. You know, I think we think of the waiting and the the, the unknown of of waiting for them is the hard part, but actually bringing them home is the hard part because they're they're trying to learn a new language. I mean, especially when a foreign country is involved. I mean, that's why it's called foreign. <laughs> You're it is foreign, so they come into this new world where things smell different, look different, food is different, everything's different, and it's hard for them. So, talk to me about bringing them home and what that what bringing her home and what that looked like, and maybe the the hardships. Um, but the way that, again, God sustained you through the hard. You know, I a lot of people talk about the honeymoon period, mm-hmm. and I don't think we had that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pretty intense even on the flight home. I remember this is kind of just a cute, funny story, but we were walking through the plane at one point and she really wanted to sit in first class. And I was like, honey, that's not where our seats are. And she barely spoke English at all. And I'm trying to explain to this 10 year old girl mm-hmm. why she can't sit in this first class seat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and those tensions can get high real fast. And so um, it was cute. She, she trusted me and we got back to the seat, which I know is a really big deal, but she was not very happy that we weren't mm-hmm. sitting in first class. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, just from the very beginning, there, mm-hmm. there were difficult things. And I think just, you know, anytime we have expectations of how things are going to be, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
that can be a little dangerous. And I think we all had our own expectations that that were kind of um, joy included that that were not met. And so kind of grieving those expectations um, and uh, and dealing with that grief becomes part of the bringing home process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And I think that is something a lot of people don't recognize or talk about is that we all have expectations. I mean, love is a choice. It's a verb. It's an action. It's not a feeling. So, so what did God even teach you in those times of hard and expectations not being met? I, I think for me, there was a big old dose of humility um, mm-hmm. that, I, that I was taught. Um, and I think, you know, one of my expectations in coming home was one, that we would have that honeymoon period and it was going to be awesome. Um, but then two, I, I actually kind of thought myself a pretty good parent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, I can just use the tools and the tactics that I've used to parent this kid that I've just brought home mm-hmm. from a really hard place. Um, I'm just going to apply this, the tools that I've learned with my other two young ones. And it's going to be awesome because I'm a pretty okay dad. <laughs> and I think that expectation was blown out of the water so quickly um, I remember one night in particular where we were just having a really challenging night and, um, you know, there was a lot of disobedience. There was a lot of willful acting out. Um, and I was responding with all of the tools and techniques that I, I had in my little toolbox as a parent. And it was, you know, I'm going to give you more consequences. I'm going to take these things away from you. Like timeouts. Like timeouts. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you lose the privilege of that screen or I don't even remember all of the things, but we just had a terribly hard night. And, and that evening, Lynn and I sat down on the couch after we finally got everybody to bed and, and someone had given us um, some videos from Dr. Karen Purvis from Texas Christian University, um, who really spent her career looking at how do we serve kids from hard places. Mm-hmm. And within about 15 minutes of this video, I'm just on the couch bawling because everything that I was doing was exactly wrong for what my kiddo needed. Mm-hmm. And I, sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. I look back on it now and I just see that it was very clear that it, my arrogance of saying I'm a pretty okay dad is just simply not enough. And my kiddo, if I'm going to love her well, she needed more from me and she needed me to, to reach closer to her to restore her heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, we have this mentality that that we're going to rescue these children, you know, we're going to save them from the life they would have had. But um, I'm not sure who it is that said this because I read way too many books on this topic. I think it was maybe Jason Johnson, but um, they, they talk about how we're not saving them from the pit. We're jumping into the pit with them. Mm-hmm. And um that means we have to be ready to, to handle the grief that's associated from the loss that they've experienced. Um, and while that looks different for each adopted kiddo, mm-hmm. um, they, they've all experienced the loss of their biological parents. So um, that's just so important to remember. And I think for me too, one of the things that um, was huge is in one of our pre-adoption like um, classes or something they had mentioned, you know, 
you have to be able to do your own work too. So if you're bringing anything into this mm-hmm. that um, is, you know, like I had lost my dad just a few couple of years before and, and my mom had remarried really quickly. And so it was just a lot for me and I hadn't really started to process it, um, until we were in that waiting period of waiting for her mm-hmm. and I went to counseling and I've heard numerous times, I think Dr. Purvis says, you can't take your kid or maybe it's Dr. Cross. You can't take your kid on a journey that you're not willing to go on yourself. And mm-hmm. so, um, that counseling was so important for me in um, leading up to her coming home. And then also after she came home and even still today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so good and so true. And it is, that's why I said it's God that rescues us, you know, in the process and changes us and refines us and shows us of, like you said, wounds and things we didn't even know we hadn't dealt with. You know, it just reveals and brings to the surface. It's not that the child is bringing out all these problems. It's that they were already there. It's just, you're right. We can't help them heal if we're not healed ourselves. If So I think that you're right. It's no matter how easy, because there's not an easy transition, um, but even if it is an easier one, there's still things that need to be revealed. And that's why adoption is a journey. It's not a destination. It's you're never going to be fully done or over. You're always going to be learning, but it requires that reliance on the Lord. And that's why I don't know how people do this without the Lord, because it's such a sanctifying, uh, continual work. Um, And without Him and His wisdom, because He does, He knows these kids better than we do. He loves them more than we do. He created them. He, he he watched them their whole upbringing, the years that we missed. And so he knows what they need. And you're right. It requires us surrendering <laughs> that we can't do it. And I love the way that you came to that early on. And that's why I want to share because it, it, I think it's it, people shouldn't be surprised when it's hard. Um, so, so we talked about, yeah, the unexpected difficulties and trials maybe, but what have been the unexpected joys and the things, and I love that her name's Joy. Uh, what 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 are some things that you would have missed if you didn't encounter, you know, enter into, and I love how you said entering into the pit with her. That's what it is. It's it's not rescuing them. It's jumping in with them and, and, and going through the ugly and the hard together. But what have been the unexpected joys of doing this and bringing her into your home and how has she changed your life and family for the better? Um, at first, she's an amazing kid. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of resilience and just the tools and resources that the Lord put into her. Um, mm-hmm. It is so fun to watch her unlock those and grow and develop. And, and it's, she's, she's amazing. She's amazing. So I, I don't want to overstate the hard because, mm-hmm. I mean, all of her friends will say she's the most joyful kid at school. She works so hard. She's so diligent. Um, Funny. So it's just, she's just a really great person. And it's exciting to see that be unlocked Mm -hmm. um, and wonder how the Lord's going to use it. And and I guess that's the same for all of our kiddos. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but it's just fun to see that almost on fast forward as we, you know, try to catch up on, on so many things Um, from those first 10 years where she didn't have family, she was in an institution. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that I think has been a, a joy and really convicting for me is I want to point back to the Romans 8 uh, verses that we talked about a minute ago. Mm-hmm. The concept of adoption and 
understanding my position um, in Christianity and as a follower of Jesus, as being adopted by him, and understanding a completely different level of um, what it means to sacrifice for my adopted kiddo, what it what adoption truly means. And, and it's given me so much clearer picture of, or not a clearer picture, maybe a different view of the picture of what Christ has done for us to adopt us into his family. Um, and, and <laughs> the pain and the mm-hmm. suffering that he chose to do um, because he loved us and cared for us so much that he was also willing to jump in the pit with us. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that has been continually revealed um, just a deeper understanding of what, what does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to be in a spirit of sonship of God? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I translate, you know, the interactions that I have with my kiddo and, and overlay that with, with the gospel. And, and it's, it's been very deepening, I think for both of us. Mm-hmm. I think for me too, there's a couple of things that I think of when I think of the joy that she brings, um, that I wasn't expecting. Um, but just learning all of this about kids from hard places and how that has grown my own heart for children in our community that may not be um, in the foster system necessarily, but just come from really hard homes and end up at our church for VBS or um, Wednesday nights. And, and we get to use what we've learned with our daughter to really connect with those kiddos too and um, teach them about Jesus in mm-hmm. a way that some people might dismiss them because of their behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, the behaviors that come from them having such a hard home life. So that has been, continues to bring me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. And then just seeing how her being in our family, um, has and the people that she connects with and how she can um, just bring joy to their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has an amazing giggle that's infectious. So when she gets going, it, it's really fun to be around. And we've had a, a, a number of people um, tell us that that's one of their favorite things about her is that she can be funny and, and that she just laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, so just knowing like if we had said no, like even those people's lives wouldn't have been impacted by her being here. Um, and that, that brings me a lot of joy too. And is encouraging for the journey. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. I know I say these kids are like a ripple, right? They like just create this ripple everywhere they go. And we don't even know sometimes the impact they're having on your right, the community, but it also, and like you said, it puts a new lens on your eyes. Like God allows you to see the world differently. Um, And so that's why I tell people like, if the Lord is pressing your heart, don't be afraid of it, you know, because the, what he will do in your family and in your community is beyond, uh, I mean, what you could even ask or imagine. Um, so, so to say to that, you know, what would you say to people listening, you know, that maybe their hearts are stirred or they've, they've, they've felt this prompting, but they've said no because of X, Y, and Z or, or they don't feel called to adopt, but how can they help people that do? So that's a two-part question. So what would you say to people that feel a stirring, um, but are afraid? And then we'll talk about what people can do if they don't feel called, but how to support. 
I've always loved the quote. It's kind of cliche, but God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that's just been really powerful in my own life whenever he's called me to do something. And so Mm -hmm. even if you're feeling called to adopt and and, um, it seems not the right time or it seems like you don't have the resources, I would say take the first step and then just keep trusting God to be there for every next step. Mm-hmm. And then I think with the, with, you know, I think it can be dangerous how we enter as Christians interpret the the call to look after the orphans and, and think, Oh, we're all meant to adopt. And we've mm-hmm. said that several times in this conversation, but it's not the truth. Like a lot of times we're just called to support those who were called to adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, or if, if an adopted child, if we're a teacher and adopted child ends up in our classroom and we're a Christian teacher, like we're called to go the extra mile and and learn what that kiddo needs in order to learn well in that environment. Mm -hmm. I'd also just say Lynn, Lynn brought a a statistic home. I think it was even last week and it really resonated with me. Um, and, And it was something like for every adoptive or foster family, it takes five families surrounding them to lift them up and encourage them and, and hold them. And, and when I think about that and I apply it to our lives, we're blessed with probably more than five families. But mm-hmm. but I think it's also a really good indicator of, of what we're talking about here is if you're called to adopt, I totally agree with Lynn, take the first step, mm-hmm. keep your hands open and your eyes fixed on him and he'll show you what where he's taking you on this journey. But if you don't feel that calling, there's not guilt associated. Yeah. Um, rather, there, there should be the opportunity to say, okay, we're called to look after the orphans. Who are the orphans in my community and around me? And maybe they are students, maybe they are a family across the street, um, but there's opportunities to love there. And, and in the midst of the hurting and the trauma and the loss, there's so much goodness and so much happiness and passion but it takes work and it mm-hmm. takes energy and it takes that entire community wrapping around the, that adoptive family to say, you know, we're going to help you. We're going to stand beside you um, in whatever format that that looks like. And that could be as easy as as a meal. It could be, you know, taking the kids to go play sometime. It, it, there's so many ways to just reach out to those families that are living it and loving on on these kiddos every single day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, so awesome. And yeah, that's just exactly what I want to do today and not convict or make people feel bad because, and and you're right, it takes a community. And I, I grieve for people that don't have that because we do. We are blessed with great support systems and it's still really hard. Um, so people that don't have it, that would be extremely difficult. And yeah, I just actually heard a recent statistic that if only 8% of Christians in the world would adopt, it would eradicate the orphan crisis. You know, there's about 160 million. So it shows you how many, but you're right, that leaves a large percentage that don't need to adopt, but yet need to support those that do. Um, But unfortunately, only about 1% of orphans will be adopted. You know, it it just doesn't, it's not happening. And it's a a crisis that man can't fix. You know, only God can. That's what I want this conversation to do is for people to say, God, what is my part? What do you want me to do? And how do you want me to do it? And so that's just what I wanted to stimulate this month in the um, National Adoption Month is just to and you know encourage people to stir their hearts. God, what do you want me to do? Appreciate the opportunity just to share. And yeah. um, 
yeah, just the realness behind mm-hmm. it is so good and it mm-hmm. is so hard mm-hmm. and it is so good. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I, I hope that you were um, inspired and just really renewed in your relationship with the Lord, hearing their story. And I love the way that God prompted their hearts for adoption, but I especially love the way that it was their daughter that really impressed this vision on them, that that God truly spoke to her and and she urged them to consider that she had a sister in Africa. So I just love that. And it just reminded me that it's important to listen to our children, that God can and will speak to them and He can use them in mighty ways in our lives. Something else that impressed me was the way that they were willing to allow the Lord to shape their story and draw them to their daughter. You know, they had set age limits, but God expanded their boundaries and and allowed them to to adopt an older child. And something that I didn't know until we entered the adoption process was that one of the greatest needs is older children. Um, The special needs category, it doesn't just include physical and mental disabilities. You know, it also includes sibling groups and older children, which are more difficult to place. And today, over 30,000 children age out every day around the world. So it's a great need to adopt older children. If you want to learn more or pray more specifically, there's so many great resources and we'll put them put the links in our show notes. The adoption agency that we used was called Lifeline Children's Services and they have so many great ways to get involved and to pray more specifically. So I encourage you to check that out. Thanks again for tuning in and God bless you. Mm-hmm.